welcome to The Same Cast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of The Same Cast. The Same Cast has been created to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers, to support all pupils and to help support staff be more aware. The Same Cast is also a great way to get the same consistent message to schools and parents. In this episode, my guest is Wendy Lee. Wendy is a speech and language therapist with over 30 years experience in a wide range of settings. We will be discussing the importance of supporting and promoting language and the impact on learning in the classroom. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. And over the last 25 years, B-Squared have supported schools to show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. Over the last few years, we have noticed a lack of high quality, easy to access training and CPD for schools around SEND. We wanted to do something about it, so we created our online CPD offering, Training for Education. It started three years ago with a virtual Send conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be sharing exclusive Sendcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are exploring the links between language and learning in the classroom. This week, our guest is Wendy Lee. Wendy Lee has been a speech and language therapist for over 30 years with a huge wealth of experience. Wendy was a professional director of the Communication Trust until 2015, being involved in a range of projects as well as inputting onto national policy and research. Wendy is currently the director of Lingo, which provides consultancy, professional development resources and speech and language therapy to a number of schools and organizations. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Hi. As we have discussed on another podcast, there is a big link between language and literacy. So if you want to go listen to the Language and Literacy Link podcast, you can do. But for all language skills has a much bigger impact on a pupil's learning. Yeah, definitely. So what I thought we could talk about today is that link between language and broader learning. Just because it, it is so important, you know, everything that happens in a school is kind of on that vehicle of, of, of spoken language. So it really does have an impact if children aren't very good at either understanding language or putting their sentences together. And I'm just going to take it from the perspective of oracy. So for those people that aren't aware of oracy, there are two aspects. One is a really around how teachers use their talk in the classroom. So you might have heard the term dialogic teaching, and that really is about how teachers use their talk to um, support the children's learning. So we're not really going to look at that today. We're going to look at the other side of things, which is around how we might teach our students to use their talk for learning. So it really is about explicitly teaching children and young people how to utilize their own talk skills to develop their thinking and their learning. And the reason to look at it is because there is a kind of more popularity around oracy that lots more people are becoming more aware of it. There are a couple of big organizations. So one is called Voice 21. They have a school, School 21 in Newham in London. And their whole kind of ethos is around oracy. It's built into everything that they do. I also work with academics at, at Cambridge University, and we've got a center called Oracy Cambridge. 
which again takes that theoretical perspective, but looks at how to apply that to, to practice. So I'd say the reason to look at it is because there is so much extremely strong evidence about how we teach our children to use their talk for learning that can really impact massively on how, how well they do, what their outcomes are. And the reason that it's also important is, you know, what does that mean for our children with special educational needs? So schools might take on that kind of mantle of really thinking about and supporting oracy in the classroom, teaching their children explicitly about how to use their talk for learning. But one of my roles is really to think about, so what does that mean for children with, with special needs? What does that mean for children, particularly with speech, language and communication needs? And that's really what I thought we could focus on today. So you sort of said to me, oracy is what literacy is to written language. Oracy is the same for verbal communication. Yeah, so the term oracy, that word was kind of made up really in the 1960s when they wanted to kind of give spoken language equal status to literacy and it was a kind of there wasn't a word to describe it and so the word oracy was brought about and some some really great work happened in the 60s to really kind of focus on how we teach our children to use those spoken language skills and both you know for the benefit of kind of using them effectively but also for that kind of real skill of being able to use your language for thinking and learning. So yeah, it, it's to, it originally was to try and to give that equal status between literacy and oracy. Clearly that hasn't happened because uh, since the 1960s, we're still in our education system focusing very much on the written word. But actually we know that that focus on, on spoken language can have a really huge impact to the way in which children learn and also in terms of their academic outcomes. So when you when you read the research around how that happens, how if we teach our children in that way to, to use their language for thinking, particularly in sort of group work, thinking about how to use group interaction in a, a really kind of directed way and teach children how to do that effectively, when that's done well, it has really big impact on the children's sort of academic outcomes they're learning. So when you talk about language for thinking, are you talking like questioning skills or hypothesizing or things like that? What are you meaning by language for thinking? So if you think about it, when if you and I had a problem to solve together, if we had something that we needed to kind of work through, we were talking earlier about you and your, your colleague that you work with, you go and you have conversations about things and you work them out together, talk it through. You know, I might talk something through with a, with a friend or a colleague if I've got something that I need to work out. And the way in which we do that is we might, I might say something to you and you might kind of say, oh, well, yeah, I see your point, but what about this? And I might think about that a little bit and say, well, I don't quite see it that way. I might see it this way. And we will work that through together. You will build on my ideas. You might disagree with something that I say. I will build on your ideas. And between us, what would happen is that magical thing where two heads are better than one or four heads are better than two. So it's being able to do things like question each other. Why do you think that? What do you mean by that? to disagree without falling out so instead of kind of going well that's wrong well I, d I don't quite agree with that I see it this way or to kind of collaborate to really try to kind of take our thinking further so I might really question you well, well explain to me how that's going to work to get you to justify your ideas so I can understand it better so then I can come back and add to that so it's a real kind of 
detailed discussion or kind of collaboration that we use our language to to do things together. Now, that's not to say that there are some things that I just want to be locked away in a room and work out myself, because I absolutely do. Sometimes I just want people to go away and let me get on with it. But actually, there is something really amazing that happens when people bring their collective thoughts together. You know, we've, we've talked on other podcasts about that importance of collaboration. I see things as a speech and language therapist from a particular perspective, because this is what I've been doing for the last 30 years. I can't go anywhere without thinking about language, which is really sad, but it is true. Teachers will see things from a particular perspective because of what they do, parents from what they do. And together, we'll all bring those different perspectives. And if we can utilize our language to get the best out of that kind of discussion, something else will come out of it that none of us could do on our own. And that's the kind of thing that we want to teach children to be able to do not just for the value of that in its own right, but because it makes them better at learning. They get better at reasoning. So Professor Neil Merce has done a lot of work around this idea of how to support children to do what he calls interthinking, using your language to kind of bring your thinking together, to kind of work something out together. And what he's found in his research, and he's looked at what happens in practice, is that the children can get better at that interthinking, that get better at talking and interacting together, but they get better at reasoning. And reasoning is really important for learning. If you don't kind of, you can't reason in that way, if you can't think in that way, it, it really limits your learning opportunities. So, so yeah, it, it's important. Um, I, I suppose when people sit there and go, um, I remember being at school, so write this paragraph in your own language. And I remember going, what, why? And you are, you read it and you, you, write, you, you kind of got checking your understanding of doing that. And we talk about, to really understand something, if you can teach someone else. So that's really, again, it's showing that I understand this concept and I can explain it how I've understood it to you. So you're using those skills. And one of the things I also like locking myself away and solving problems. And generally, the outcome is either I've got all the answers and I'm perfect, which never happens. What happens is I either I think I've got it right then I have to explain it to someone else. And that's when they start asking me lots of questions I haven't thought of. Or I hit a problem. I then explain it to someone else who sees a solution, which is so obvious, but I haven't thought about it. So it is, I like doing it on my own because I get there and I go, but yeah, lots of times I either miss something or I hit a problem and to someone else, it's just really easy to solve. There's no real problem is why don't you just do that? And you'll look at them going, oh, why didn't I think of that? But it is, it is that language, making sure that that person can understand. And sometimes context is a really big thing for humans and as an understanding. And when you, when you write something down or you say, explain something, someone looks at you blankly, obviously you've jumped somewhere in your thought process and they've not followed you. And it's making sure you're giving that context. And so sometimes I'm writing documents and when I'm explaining it to someone, they look at me blankly. I'm going, well, it's really clear. Okay, I'll add that in to make it clear. So again, having that conversation, explaining what I've written down in my language helps me really be clear about how they're interpreting it. And then I'm really clear about how, what is the message I'm giving and making sure it's a really clear message. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, I think everyone will have had that experience, won't they, where you think it's really clear and then somebody who doesn't know the context looks at it and I don't get that. 
And so you've got to put those extra bits in or you've got to kind of explain it more. And yeah, I think, you know, there's an adage, isn't there? The best way of learning is teaching, you know, being able to put something into a kind of into a summary or explain it to somebody else really kind of ensures that you've got it yourself. You've really kind of understood it deeply. So this whole idea of oracy, um, and as I say, that there are lots of schools now that are kind of understanding how important that is for students learning, whether that be in primary or secondary schools, and using these kind of really strong evidence-based principles for teaching children how to use their language for learning. And as I say, there's more to oracy than that. There's the kind of pedagogical side, which is what, what teachers do. And then quite often when I talk to people about oracy, they jump to, well, that's debating and presentation. And it is that, but the bit that we're thinking about that I tend to spend more time thinking about is very much this idea of children using their language to work together to develop their thinking and their learning and their reasoning skills. A little bit like this podcast. A little bit like this podcast. Just checking yeah. my understanding. Yes. So what the Oracy Cambridge group have done is put together this framework that really helps schools to do that. It's used in Voice 21 and it divides these really complex thing that we've just described into these different areas. So it talks about physically what you need to do in order to kind of develop those strong oracy skills. What is included in terms of the linguistics? So, for, you know, good vocabulary, being able to uh, use grammar appropriately, being able to, they talk about register, which is that idea of using the right type of kind of communication in the right areas. So I would talk to you maybe differently to I would talk to my children. As a child, you might talk to your friends differently to the way you would speak to the head teacher. So it's picking the right register for the right uh, situation, which is another thing. The other sort of element is around what they call cogn the cognitive elements, which is around choosing the right content and structuring it appropriately and you being able to clarify and summarize reasoning and so on. And then a kind of social and emotional element, which is that listening and responding and confidence and being aware of your audience and working with others. So that framework is really available. People can kind of go and have a look at it. But from a speech and language point of view, from my perspective as a therapist, I look at that framework and think, well, actually, every child I work with will struggle with quite a lot of that. So there's this kind of really great thing, oracy, which is about, you know, as I say, support, taking that ev really strong evidence base, thinking about teaching our children to use their language in that way to problem solve and work together. But what does that look like for our children with speech and language difficulties? What kinds of um, issues might they might they have with that so you know if you think about real kind of productive group discussions when you go into a classroom and you're seeing children talking about their learning in a really kind of productive way you see that they're taking conversational turns they're using vocabulary that's appropriate to that situation they're using kind of technical terms or they're using other vocabulary they're listening to each other they're building on each other's ideas they're giving good reasons. They're kind of being really critically kind of evaluative about the things that they're talking about. They're asking each other for information that's, oh, what? tell me more about that. And as I say, they're building on each other's kind of ideas. And the children that I work with would really struggle with lots of those things. Yeah. So the reason for this podcast really is that, you know, I'm seeing lots of these kind of schools building on these really strong oracy skills, which is brilliant because we want to see that balance between oracy and literacy. As I say, not just for learning, but because it's a life skill. Neither of us would be doing this if we didn't have 
you know, decent oracy skills. Um, I didn't always. I'd like oh, to me, say that. Me neither. Uh, it's um, <laughs> learning how to do things. Certain things like don't come naturally. So, but it is the more you do it, the better you get, which is a lot of things are the same, but you've got to have the opportunity. Yeah. No, I, I was horribly shy as a child, like ridiculously. I never, ever put my hand up in class, ever. The thought of a teacher asking me a question was just, I would rather the world swallow me up than answer those questions. And actually, we weren't taught at school how to use our language productively to develop our thinking. I was fine with my peers and could do that, but actually that whole class stuff was terrifying to me. But you're right. The more we practice in safe environments with the right kind of support, the more that we kind of are aware of some of those skills, the more confident we become. And then the more we do it and then the more, you know, we grow from that, don't I, I don't think I really started sort of doing that sort of stuff until I'd finished school and finished college. And I had a close friend where we would spend time talking about lots of different things and it was often, you know, you're young and you're looking at the future and you're talking about where you want to be and what your hopes are. And you listen to each other and you, you share your opinions and your hopes and your things like that. And I remember talking for hours about that and that really helped me on those conversations because it gave me validation that he would say that and I would say, well, well I don't, I think that's completely wrong. I would do that. And they would go, Oh yeah, I see your point, but oh, okay. So I, my point is valid, even though it doesn't agree. And it's those sorts of things that actually be able to express your, 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 your views and your feelings and be accepted in a sensible way, and maybe not agreed with. But actually, yeah, I do see your point. But actually, for me, this is more. That was really great, and having those conversations with him over a number of years helped me have conversations because delivering a talk is one thing. But then you saying someone and then someone going, well, no, I don't agree. Um, 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 no, okay, I can, I can let's discuss this. Why do, why do you say that? What, what, what made you say that? And, and sometimes I've been in situations where I don't really know what they mean when they say I don't agree with you. And I've used questions to try and get more information to me to then work out my response. Because mm. sometimes you'll be so convinced of something and someone will say it against you, you're just going, how can you, what? No, that makes no sense. And, and you've got no response. To be, so your only chop option is to dive into why they came from that. And then you sit there and go, ah, okay, you're coming from this angle. And that's the thing. It's, it's the angle you're coming at. And that's, so yeah, lots of those things has just helped me over years. And it sounds odd, but learn how to have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very powerful thing, isn't it? And I think... I just kind of think the world would probably be quite a nice or a better place if we all had those skills to be able to, you know, try and work out where each other are coming from and try to reach some kind of compromise. I mean, one of the things that um, came out of the research that I mentioned earlier that uh, Neil Mercer and colleagues have been involved in is that when we give children kind of guidelines for dialogue, so we talk to the children about well, what, what makes a good discussion? What do we need to have? And it is things like, you know, listening to each other, you know, coming to that with some kind of respect for each other. But one of the things that was really important 
about, other than the things that we've talked about already, was coming to a discussion with the mindset that you're prepared to compromise, that you want to reach some sort of agreement, that that's the kind of mindset that you come with. Ultimately, you might not come to an agreement. You might you might end the conversation where you disagree. And, you know, that happens and you're with people and you just have completely different ways of seeing the world. And that's fine. We agree to disagree. But coming with that mindset to to be prepared to compromise and come up with a solution made one of the biggest differences to the children's educational outcomes in terms of their learning, which is amazing, really, isn't it? It's that kind of real powerful thing of actually, if you come with that thought that you're going to kind of try and reach some agreement in the middle, it means that you're open to learning, you're open to seeing things from a slightly different perspective, you're open to build on other ideas, you're open to really listen to what people have to say. Sorry. I, just, I think you're literally talking about the whole not the modern world where <laughs> you've got 140 characters and your only option is to completely disagree in the most strongest way to the previous comment. Yeah. Where does that go? Nowhere. We just go down a very big <laughs> spiral. But it is, it is that because to me, if you, if we had a conversation and there was no way I was going to change your viewpoint and you weren't going to change your viewpoint, that really means that. I have no real respect for you and you have no real respect for me because if I'm not going to listen to what you say, I can't respect you. But if I'm coming to this conversation going, okay, so she might be able to persuade me, I'm actually going to listen to what you say and I'm already giving you respect and it will be a conversation which will flow. And just by having that, I'm not going to dismiss everything you say the moment you start speaking. I'm actually going to listen and yeah, I really want to win and prove my point, but to be able to do that, I have to listen and I have to maybe give you some little wins to try and, but it, it is, it is a, a ballet, a performance, a, a play, a fight, whatever, but it is in a very, it should be in a polite, equally mutual respected way. Yeah. And there is that thing, isn't there about, there's, there's lots of research about listening and I don't know if you've seen, there's a, there's, I've got a list of kind of different types of listening, which include listening so that I can make my point or listening so that I can kind of put you down and say something else or just listening to the first bit of what you say and then I'm listening to plan my response so you know proper listening is really that isn't it it's kind of putting everything that I might have in my head to one side and really listening and taking on board what you might say and then I can have a think about well how am I going to respond to that so, so as we're talking generally I'm very clear I'm not trying to put down as, I, as you're talking but generally the other things is I've got a point I want to make and you're talking yeah. And then, oh, she said that, I want to respond to that. Definitely not putting together. But then you say stuff. By the time I get to when what you said, I've got a load of selection of things. And generally, the first two don't happen. I then move the conversation on in a completely different direction. Mm. But yeah, it's very interesting. The whole listening skills is, I remember when I was younger, and to me, I always felt like a, a conversation had to be equal. So it had to speak equal amounts of time. And if you get shared a story, I would share a story back. And then it dawned on me that, hang on, I might, is it, is it, are we bragging? Well, I've done this. And then I get into a whole world of what is the right thing to do in that situation. And then what I've learned is actually generally in most conversations, show interest in the other person and what they're saying and talk about what they're saying, not what I want to say. And generally that helps the conversation flow so much better. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of different types of conversations, isn't there? You know, I can have conversations with people where, I'm literally just listening because I'm kind of fascinated by what they have to say. I'm quite happy with that, you know, yeah. or other, set, other conversations. My daughter has this thing where she says, oh, sometimes I just stay, say stuff, mom, to get your monologue in. 
because <laughs> I'll just kind of go. And she kind of quite likes that. So she'll just give me a little kind of, you know, whatever, drop something in there and that'll be me gone. So, and there's joy from all of those different types of conversations. Yeah. And my daughters say to my to my wife, don't tell dad who gives us a two hour lecture. <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to lecture. I'm trying to give them a different perspective, which they don't appreciate because they're young and blah, blah, blah. But it is, you're trying to, I don't want to tell them off. I want to try and see what they've done from a different angle. So perhaps maybe internally they can see that they're wrong. Yeah, they're but teenagers. Really, they're <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of, you know, that's, I guess, the importance of oracy skills in this particular context. And, you know, I don't want people to think that oracy is just about um, that, that group interaction, but it's the bit that we're talking about today. And as I say, that my sort of role in the oracy work that I do is to think about particularly what that means for inclusion, what that means for the children who will struggle with those skills. You know, I most of the children that I work with who've got language difficulties, listening is a challenge for them. You know, many of them, maybe their reasoning skills aren't particularly well developed. You know, maybe they're not that confident about talking. So it is really about how we support those children to be able to access what is a really rich conversational practice for learning. It's not conversation for the sake of it. It's not sort of chatter in the classroom. It is real kind of productive learning that's going on in those conversations. So one of the things, so I just thought I'd kind of suggest some things that are useful. So I just want to say, so if there's that group discussion going on, if there's a child with speech language communication needs, there's a lot that could go on. So they've, they've got to be able to understand what is being discussed. They've got to be willing and feel like their contribution is valuable. And they've then got to be able to express that in a way the others can understand. And I, I've simplified that into three things, but you'll probably tell me that's 432 things in there. Three is good. Three is good. But it, it, there's a lot going on. So it's not just a case of, oh, I need to give them um, time to be able to actually there's a bit there's bits before that yeah definitely so you know i think for some children some of those things that they need to be able to do in order to take part in that rich group discussion actually have to be taught in the same ways that you would teach you know long division you have to give them those kind of underlying skills so you would need to teach some of those things maybe separately or as part of the whole class so that they've got a starting point and then the other element of that is uh, that group work is thinking about what can we put in place that will enable those children and young people to access what's going on. So there's a couple of things that, that I tend to do in the schools that I'm working with that I, I share with our kind of schools that are, are working on oracy. And um, as I say, it's that it, it's two elements. It, one is maybe some specific teaching, but the other is a kind of act access type strategies so in the same ways you would put a ramp up steps for somebody in a wheelchair what other things that we can put in place for the children to kind of allow them to access some of that stuff so the first thing that I tend to think works really well is having mixed ability groups so children who actually find some of this work quite easy alongside the children that find it more challenging and what we find when we put children together in that way is that it's really great for the children who find it easier because they have to explain things in a way that other other children can understand. And we've already said 
best way of learning is to kind of be able to explain it. So it's really great for them to be able to do that. It's also good for them to be able to ensure that they are kind of take a listening as well as a speaking role so that the, the kind of ch- those children do benefit greatly from from that kind of mixture because you, you do really have to make sure that person you're speaking to understands. so you're going to be speaking and you'll get to see how they are listening and that's going to help you adjust what you're saying so there's a lot of skills just in that absolutely and again it's a life skill isn't it yes. you know it's it, it regardless of what any any of us end up doing in our lives, we'll end up talking to people uh, in lots of different contexts. And so it's a really important life skill. The other thing that is quite helpful for children who've got speech and language difficulties is putting kind of particular kind of scaffolds in place. So things like teachers knowing where their starting point is and building small steps from that point. So we might, for example, give them a, a group role. So some of those discussions, you can put group roles in. So some one person will be the one that kind of summarizes the discussion, or one person will be the one that challenges, or one person will be the one that builds on other people's ideas, etc. And actually just kind of supporting individuals to take that individual role to start with can just help to it become less overwhelming, if you like. They know the reason they're listening, you've already told them, right, so your role in this is to do this. So you've already told them what they're listening for and how they've got to think about what's being said. Yeah, so their role might be to to clarify things, for example. So if, they, if their role was to clarify, my first step would be, do they know what clarification means? Do they know whether they've understood something or not? Do they have some language to clarify? So, you know, I don't quite understand. Or can you tell me more about that? Or can you tell me more about that specific element? You know, do they have all of those underlying skills? If they don't, let's teach them separately. Once they've got those skills, let's think about how we put those skills to practice in that small group. So giving them one role can be helpful. And and that can, you know, it's for everybody to have one role. So, you know, you're the builder, you're the clarifier, you're, and they and each person can do that. And then when they get confident with that role, they can maybe swap roles. So it it's just a kind of helps with those small steps. Visual support, like with anything, can be really helpful. Things like sentence starters can be really helpful in those situations. So you give a little kind of starter. And as I say, just kind of having that support within the group, either from another adult or from their peers, is a kind of is a good starting point. As I say, those those visual supports can be things like if you're if you want to agree with somebody, just having a little kind of icon like a thumbs up or something like that to represent I agree. And then a sentence starter that says, I agree because, and then they can kind of get going with that kind of response. Yeah, that makes sense because it is, it's, what's the first thing you're going to say? How how do I start what I'm going to say? Because that's the first thing. Once you start talking, for, for a lot of people, that's the challenge. Once you start talking, you're kind of over the hurdle. And then for me, I start talking actually halfway through my sentence, work out what I'm going to say later <laughs> on, which isn't always great. But it is, the challenge is starting for a lot of children. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and just kind of having that confidence to, yeah, that that they've got, they want to contribute and that they've got something that they feel that they can contribute in a, you know, that they've got the language to do that. For some children, we might need to simplify either further, even further. So we might need to say to them, do you want to do X or Y or do you agree or disagree? So we're giving them some choices there. We might want to model. So I might say, well, I think blah, blah, blah. What do you think? And then giving them maybe a sentence starter, you say, I think. 
And again, just kind of modeling what some of that discussion looks like. We can start with smaller groups for some children so that actually it's not a kind of group of five or six children. It's a, it's a smaller group that they feel more comfortable. We might practice some of those things on a one-to-one -one with them or a, a kind of pair of children so that they just get confident in developing those, those kind of skills. And we can also embed some of those strategies that we might use in therapy. So um, you know, if I'm doing vocabulary teaching with children, I might specifically teach some of the vocabulary that they need to have some of the discussions in the group work. So I might teach them the word compromise. I might teach them the word, I don't know, predict. I might teach them some technical language because they're talking about Henry VIII. I might teach them monarch. It's unlikely, but I might. So it's it's thinking about some of the words that they might need. I might teach them the difference between agree and disagree because they might not have that as a concept. So just making sure that they've got that kind of foundation kind of toolkit and then supporting them to put it into practice. Maybe that disagree is quite an important one because when you're a touch child and you disagree, it's a temper tantrum that with your child. But it's actually you can disagree and just say, I disagree. So actually being able to say, oh, so I can just say that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of children and that whole idea of al allowing those discussions to happen, even though you don't have the same viewpoint, it's really difficult. I mean, adults find it difficult, don't they? <laughs> you know, yeah. it is really difficult. But actually to be able to have those rich discussions and sometimes they're much richer from people from different perspectives you know you just get a different view of the world and that's something that I'd like our children with speech and language difficulties to have access to you know it's important for them to to be able to experience that I think I think another skill which I think a lot of people struggle with is when to sort of join in a conversation so it probably comes back to the whole rhythm of words and things like that, but actually kind of, I've got to kind of try to predict when you're going to finish what you're saying and try and say, I would like to interrupt here or things like that. And I think sometimes that's really, so sometimes it's, it's great to have someone to go, Oh, Wendy, what do you think? And give them the, this is a good point. And you're showing them, this is a good point to actually say your view. That's part of that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think our children uh, quite often struggle. Children with communication difficulties will struggle with things like maybe initiating a conversation, recognising those those kind of natural breaks that this is the time to join in. So they might interrupt a lot because they can't see those natural breaks. Um, knowing how to kind of get themselves out of a conversation in a kind of polite and acceptable way, you know, by the kind of thinking about what's okay to you know it's not okay just to kind of walk away in the middle of a conversation so giving them some strategies for that and yeah when they're in those group discussions when you've put some of those ground rules in place and one of the ground rules might be you know make sure everybody has a turn and so one of the roles you might give to one of the, the, the children might be, well, your job is to make sure everybody has a turn. And so you're absolutely right. Their job would be, so Dale, what do you think about that? Because I've noticed you haven't said anything. You know, what's your view on it? So it just allows that kind of loose structure within those discussions to take place that allow some of our children who've got language difficulties to take part in that. Another thing I, I remember... You know, when I used to sort of voice an opinion on something, I wasn't sure one, and I always get used to get worried about voicing it. Yeah. A skill for me, I always always end what I want to say with uh, a question. Mm. So generally, if you listen to the podcast and I say something, I ask the guest a question, it's I'm not really sure. So it's my way of not making a blunt statement and then the person going, no, 
I can say, so I've answered it like this. Is, is that the right thing? And that way it's me. I've got my opinion. I think I'm right, but I'm not that confident. Um, so that way I'm giving you, and also I don't know maybe how to end that either. So sometimes mm -hmm. I want to say it, but then what do I say? Well, how do I end it? Do I have to say, I was, no, no, no. was that right? Yeah. And yeah. off you go. Yeah. I've passed it over. Yeah, completely. I've now gone, I said my bit. Ooh, I can yeah. rest for a bit. It's a powerful tool, isn't it? it so is. What do you think? Yeah. So again, it's giving those children, all children, but again, our children who've got speech and language difficulties, some of those really kind of powerful tools for for those conversations. And the way that that kind of works well is when we model that for them and we're quite explicit. So we might, so again, with the children that I work with, I'm trying to teach them these strategies. I might be involved in that conversation or facilitating a conversation between them. But I might say to them, oh, did you notice how, you know, Joe there kind of asked you that question? Or did you notice that, you know, you built on that really nicely? So I'll, we'll build that in because that is about building those meta skills. So I think we've talked before about like metacognition, so knowing what you know, or metalinguistics, sort of knowing, you know, about words or knowing that those words are the right words. So those meta skills are extremely important for learning. Do I know this? How well do I know it? Do I know it enough that I can use it for my learning or do I need to know more? And if I don't know it, what am I going to do about it? And building, modeling those things for those children within those discussions and then being able to be quite explicit about it really helps them with those meta skills. I think that um, knowing what you know is a really, really important thing. And also, you, as a teacher, you do need to model. If someone asks you a question and you don't know, you kind of need to model what to do when you don't know. And it's fine to say, I don't know. I'll Google that. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll get back to you. I'm not sure. But it's part of it is, is you're teaching them when you are saying, I don't know. You're saying, it's fine to say, I don't know. Yeah. Completely, yeah. So, a again, a lot of the children that I work with, particularly those who've got difficulties understanding language, don't have a, f a kind of deep understanding of what they do and don't know. So it's almost like... If you can imagine, you know, I magically took away, I don't know, three quarters of your language skills and we just carried on having a conversation, there will be lots of it that you didn't pick up on. But you would recognise, you go, oh, God, what, what does that mean? I don't understand. I don't know that word. You know, you'd immediately recognise the stuff that you didn't know. For children with language difficulties, uh, particularly receptive language difficulties, difficulties understanding, they don't always recognise what they don't know. So if I was to go to, I don't know, a country whose language I didn't speak, which is kind of most of them, to be fair, that the language would literally just kind of flow over me. I wouldn't recognise, I don't recognise that word or that word. And I'd start to switch off to it because it'd be hard to try and work it out. And so I would get less good at recognising what I did and didn't know. And it's a bit like that for some of our children with receptive language difficulties. You know, language is everywhere. If they spent every waking hour trying to work out what everyone was saying around them, they would be exhausted. You know, it's tiring enough already. So sometimes with some of our children, we have to teach them very explicitly the difference between knowing and not knowing. So if I so we do it in lots of different ways. We might purposefully kind of give them something that we know they wouldn't know. 
and then kind of go, oh, well, of course you don't know what a dromedary is. You know, of course you don't know that. That's I shouldn't have used that word. It's just too hard. It's actually a, a kind of camel, but you don't need to know that. So you take some of that responsibility, but also you give them some of those skills to say, well, if you don't know that word, just say, I don't know that word. It's, you're allowed to do that. It's a fine thing to do. And also you, what you've then got to do is show them when they do say it, it's a positive thing. Yeah. So again, you get lots of class teachers, don't you? So that kind of saying, you know, asking questions is brilliant because if you don't know, there's definitely somebody else that's not going to go. No, and it's an opportunity for all of our learning. You know, it's a, it's a really good opportunity for learning if people don't know stuff. Otherwise, why are we here? Yes. <laughs> you know, if we're in a classroom and everybody knows everything, then actually nobody's learning anything new. Of course, there's going to be things that we don't know. And that's great because it's learning's happening. You know, it's good. But yeah, for those children with language difficulties, we need to kind of teach them that. And sometimes we need... To, to kind of they need to be aware that sometimes that responsibility is at their end like maybe they don't know because they've not really got been listening or tuned in but sometimes they don't know because there was just too much language or the words were too hard or the acoustics weren't great or they just don't understand that bit of a sentence so as adults we would be very clear about which bit we didn't understand i don't recognize that word it's a word for me or there's just too much information there. I just couldn't follow it all at once. Just break it down for me a little bit. Or actually, I want listening. You know, these children were teaching them those things very explicitly and then giving them the language to to ask and to clarify. Definitely. And also, you might have that child who's listening to the conversation going, I agree with neither of you. Yeah. Because it's not always two sides to a story. So you might be asking... What game should we play at playtime? And one's saying rounders, one's saying football, and the child's going, I want to read, I don't yeah. want to play a game. So, therefore, how do I join in that conversation? Is my, again, what I want to say valid in that situation? There's lots of those where you're not quite sure how to join in. And yeah. I think there's lots of things you do just take for granted. It's not until you really break down what a conversation is and all the rules that are going on that you're doing, as you said, probably on a meta level, mm. um, you actually sit there and go, actually, how much of these skills do these children have? What skills don't they have? And how can I teach someone to interject in a conversation? That's quite a... Yeah, it's tricky. And, you know, when we're thinking about that group interaction, we don't just want somebody to say something and then somebody to say something else. We want it to be a kind of interaction. You know, I say something, you say something, you'll build on it, you disagree with it. We kind of come up with something new, you you know, and that's where, as I say, that kind of real strong learning happens. That It is about children building and, and together, uh, like, you know, Neil talks about it, into thinking. It really is that kind of building of, of, of that information. And often that's when the passion comes out. In those conversations, the passion, the drive comes out of that. You're well, sitting... When, you, you become part of it. Yeah, you see a problem being solved and you get excited about it. And that's what we want to see for the children. We want to see that kind of excitement about it. But as I say, for our children with language needs, obviously it's even more challenging. So what, what do we do about that? Yeah. So before we end, have you got anything you want to end on? I think the other thing just to say is that, you know, obviously I'm focusing on children with speech, language and communication 
kids and thinking about some of those strategies that might help them. So like I said before, just a bit more structure, some sentence starters, you know, giving them time to think, you know, those kinds of things can really make a big difference. Checking out their understanding, explicitly teaching some of those things. So one of the strategies that uh, is used in the, in the oracy world is something called talking points, which is kind of giving a statement that the children might discuss or, or kind of work through. Again, for some of our children, they might be given a statement and kind of say, well, discuss whether you think that's true or false. Some of our children might not know what true or false means. So you've got to kind of think about the kind of building blocks for some of that work. I think the other thing to say is that obviously my focus is on children with SLCN, but there are other children with special educational needs who might struggle with those discussions in different ways. So maybe autistic children or children with a hearing impairment, other types of SEN that kind of will need something slightly different out of that, which we've not kind of touched on today. And it is something that we're hoping to look at at Oracy Cambridge. So, you know, if people are interested in that, then, you know, do get in touch because I haven't got that expertise across the board um, and I wouldn't pretend to, but it would be great to have some discussions. Um, we've, we've started discussions already about, you know, what, what does this look like really properly for children um, who've got maybe significant SEND? It's interesting because oracy isn't just SEND, it's every, it's every child. Yeah. And my daughter in her secondary school, and she's in year 11, she's on the school council, and my daughter's not the most confident person, yet she is one of the leaders in the school council meetings because no one else wants to speak. And there's probably a combination of factors, but I think that probably having that confidence around oracy is probably a big part of that, that they're not contributing because they lack the confidence in contributing. Yeah, I think that's why I became a speech therapist. I was so shy, but I was full of stuff that I wanted to say. You know, I was opinionated and kind of gobby with my friends and, you know, I had loads of stuff I wanted to say, but just never had the confidence to say it in the classroom. and. I kind of feel like I had a a tiny, tiny insight into what it might be like to to have, you know, to have no voice in some ways. And for these children that, you know, when I speak to children with speech and language difficulties, it's not like they haven't got stuff to say. They absolutely do. They've got loads to say and loads of interesting stuff to say. And so it is really about trying to facilitate them to do that in that inclusive way in the classroom. Years ago, did a it is years ago now. Did a podcast with Aaron about dyslexia. Okay, yeah. And he was, yeah, he was like, yeah, just because we've got dyslexia doesn't mean we haven't got anything. There's lots to say. It's kind of getting it out is the challenge. Yeah, and how frustrating is that to kind of have opinions and thoughts and ideas and stuff that you want to share, but actually really struggling to do that. And sometimes we do think of kind of what you get out is the cognitive level. So when a child is speaking is what we get out of that level they're working. No, they could be working at a much higher level, but they're struggling with the out. Yeah. It's important to think about that as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked before about developmental language disorder, those children who um, actually cognitively have got a kind of age-appropriate kind of cognitive functioning, if you like, but their language is really impaired, and that might be their understanding of language, which is really hard to get your head around you know, or their expressive language. You know, people are judged by the way that they speak. I'm judged a lot because I'm a northerner. That's all right. I don't mind. That's fine. You know, but but the way in which uh, when I came down on the train 
um, there was a lady in our carriage that was of that obviously had learning difficulties, and you know you could see there was some judgment going on in the way in which she was communicating. She was delightful, you know, but I think it it, it is it is important to understand that you know. Just, you know, people speak in a particular way. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't define them. You know, it, it really is about uh, thinking more broadly than that. Yeah. But sometimes you sit there and um, I think there's lots of children who may scrape through a GCSE or miss their GCSE English, English because of DLD. But actually, a couple of years further on, as they've matured and they've developed all those skills they were missing, do amazing well. It's just maybe DLD wasn't picked up at that time and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously it depends on kind of the severity of the difficulty. But, yeah, I think, as I say, just just because communication is a challenge doesn't mean to say that uh, these children haven't got things to say because they absolutely do. And it's, you know, I, I'm really fortunate. I get to speak to them on a on a daily basis. It's, it's a joy. But, um, you know, it's hard work. It's hard work for them and it's just being aware of that. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Wendy. All right. We will be putting links to the things we've mentioned in the show notes and you can download them from wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sendcast. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to, to subscribe across different podcast platforms on our website, www.thesendcast.com. And please follow us on social media. Basically, just look for The Sendcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and you will find us. If you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. And before we go, as always, as I always do, I want to remind you about the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of guests on the Sendcast, our speakers at our virtual Send conference, and Wendy's actually recording a session for our sixth uh, conference tomorrow. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND. It is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to the Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past. There are now six by using the code SENDCAST10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the SENDCAST. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. <laughs>